Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the box office mojo top 100 again on today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Welcome to part two of the box office mojo top 100. Uh, we finished up with number 91 last time with the Hunger Games. And so today, uh, we'll be starting with number 90 and uh, seeing just how far I'm able to get through <laughs> these movies. Uh, but uh, yeah, so let's, let's jump right into it. Uh, at number 90, we have a film from 2011 directed by Brad Bird, uh, who is the acclaimed director of The Iron Giant, The Incredibles, Ratatouille as well as Tomorrowland. But that's not what this film is. This is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, starring Tom Cruise, Jeremy Renner, Simon Pegg, Paula Patton, Anil Kapoor, Josh Holloway, Ving Rhames, among others like Michelle Monaghan, Leia Sadu, Tom Wilkinson, and Michael Nyquist, and a couple more. This is the fourth entry in the Mission Impossible series. We had... Rogue Nation at number 92, Ghost Protocol is just two spots ahead of it, and yeah, so I like both of these movies, I like Rogue Nation, I like Ghost Protocol, I, I think for me that, uh, you know, I like Rogue Nation a little more, you know, I Ghost Protocol is the third best Mission Impossible movie for me. You know, Mission Impossible 1, Rogue Nation, then Ghost Protocol. And I think the kind of the sense that I get is that a lot of people prefer Ghost Protocol to Rogue Nation. And I, you know, I I don't begrudge that too much. They're very similarly rated for me. Uh, You know, I've gave Ghost Protocol a 73 and I gave Rogue Nation a 76. So it's it's not a super significant difference. Both films got incredibly high ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, they're both very highly rated on Letterboxd as well. So, you know, it's kind of just a... I don't know, it's sort of more of a preference thing, I think. And for me, Ghost Protocol, I mean, it's good. It's a good movie. But I didn't feel like it... I don't know, it, it just it felt like the same movie uh, sort of shell that most of the Mission Impossible movies felt like. It, it was a good update, but it was still the same shell that I'd seen before. And uh, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's a shell that works. You know, this is the fourth film in the series, and each movie, you know, Mission Impossible 2, Mission Impossible 3, they both kind of took different elements of the first movie and sort of veered further into those elements. And I think Ghost Protocol did a good job of kind of resetting things back to one. And with Tom Cruise at the center, there's really not much you need besides him. And he, you know, Ethan Hunt is 
if not a terribly complex character, uh, definitely a fun one to watch and and see perform his stunts and uncover mysteries and solve problems and interact with his team and reveal to himself to be other people and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, you know, I think for me, Ghost Protocol is very good, but uh, just a, a shade under its sequel and the original that inspired the series. That's all. Number 89. And uh, this is the first of four movies that are, I believe four of the movies from this series are on this list. Uh, this film is directed by David Slade. It's from 2010. And, uh, you know, it's Twilight Saga Eclipse. Now, I'm guessing a lot of you haven't watched any of these movies. Uh, in my opinion, uh, Eclipse is the third of five Twilight films. And in my opinion, Eclipse is the second best of the films on the whole. I, I, it's been a very, very long time since I've seen any of them, honestly, but they, they're all relatively bad, uh, and you know, I'll, I'm, obviously I'm going to touch on more of them as we go for, forward, but the, pretty much any, any of the scenes and any of the elements that involve uh, Taylor Lautner's character are awful. And that, that's what made New Moon so awful. That's how New Moon was managed to be even worse than Twilight. Because Taylor Lautner is a terrible actor and should never have been cast in anything. And it's a shame. Because uh, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart are actually good actors. Uh, in their own way. They may not be... They may not have been, you know perfect at this time, you know, they were very young, uh, you know, this was seven years ago for Eclipse, and, and longer for the original Twilight, but, you know, since then, I've seen plenty of good performances from both of them, you know, Pattinson was, uh, Pattinson has been in Harry Potter, uh, he's, he was in uh, The Rover, which I liked, he was in Cosmopolis, which was directed by Cronenberg, which I thought was also quite good, Whereas Kristen Stewart um, has been in a ton of things. Panic Room, Still Alice, Into the Wild, Clouds of Silmaria, Adventureland, American Ultra, Certain Women. She's recently just been in uh, Personal Shopper, which has gotten a lot of good reviews. I'm excited to go see that, finally. The Runaways, Camp X-Ray. She, she's had a much better career. And I, and I, I love, I, I think Kristen Stewart's great. I love Kristen Stewart, but... The Twilight Saga Eclipse. So, to kind of give you a, an idea of where this falls in terms of the plot, Bella, once again, finds herself surrounded by danger as Seattle is ravaged by a string of mysterious killings, and a malicious vampire continues her quest for revenge. In the midst of it all, she is forced to choose between her love for Edward and her friendship with Jacob. Knowing that her decision has the potential to ignite the ageless struggle between vampire and werewolf, with her graduation quickly approaching, Bella is confronted with the most important decision of her life. You know, uh, <sighs> Jacob is just so bad. I, I don't. 
don't know. We'll talk more about the Twilight movies later, I guess. Yeah, Twilight Saga Eclipse. I gave it a 42, which might be generous, but and I can't remember it very well. I can't. I can't really pinpoint what got it that rating at ever anymore. Moving on to number eighty-eight. This is also uh, a sequel, as every movie in this section has been so far. This one is from twenty fourteen. It is directed by Mark Webb, who directed Five Hundred Days of Summer, and is coming out with a new movie very shortly called Gifted, starring. Uh, Chris Evans and Octavia Spencer, among others. But those are not the movies we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yes. The movie that destroyed uh, a second post-2000 Spider-Man series. And we now have a third Spider-Man. This movie stars... Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Jamie Foxx, Dane DeHaan, Colm Fiore, Felicity Jones, Paul Giamatti, Sally Field, Ambeth Davids, Campbell Scott, Martin Sokas, Sarah Gadone, Chris Cooper, Dennis Leary, Martin Sheen, BJ Novak, uh, among others. A lot, big, huge cast, and a huge disappointment. I saw this in theaters, and I was just heartbroken at you know i thought the first one had a lot of promise uh andrew garfield is a great spider-man but he is not a good peter parker and emma stone is a perfect gwen stacy but uh is too many villains too much of a muddled storyline and you end up with a very confusing film that doesn't really say say anything about anything uh, you know, the writing is particularly bad. The charisma of the characters and actress is really what makes it watchable at all. And Dane DeHaan... I, Dane DeHaan is so great in Chronicle. And he's so bad in so many other things. I don't understand. I don't know if he just only can play that one type. Where he's kind of just like a skeevy rage underneath the surface angsty teenage kid but for whatever it is, for whatever reason it, it's it's it doesn't do most things any good I, uh, amazing spider-man 2 significantly worse than the first one i gave it a 52 so it's not bad it, it's just incredibly disappointing it's very confusing and it muddles things up in the same way that spider-man 3 did for uh, Toby Maguire's trilogy, uh, which which sucks because you know Andrew Garfield was very charismatic. He on his own can carry the movie as Spider-Man, and he just doesn't have what Toby Maguire had, which was Toby Maguire was great at being Peter Parker, uh, but he was not a very good Spider-Man by comparison. I think that I think that Peter Parker's Spider-Man is better than Andrew Garfield's. Peter Parker, or, wow, I think that Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is better than Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker, and so I think on the on the whole, Tobey Maguire played the entire role better, but, it, you know, it shouldn't have been like this. Like, 
how many times are we going to go through this where we put too many villains in a movie and it ends up ruining the movie? And how could it happen to the same character and same IP twice? Twice. I, I don't... It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I just, you know, Jamie Foxx's Electro is, in, is ridiculous and stupid. Dane DeHaan as the Green Goblin looked awful. Paul Giamatti as the Rhino. You get like three glimpses of him and... I don't know, like, maybe, like, who, who can say, but it's like, one, how many, how many villains do you really need? One, the answer is one, you know, one villain, you can have henchmen, that's fine, but one villain, maybe two, maybe two. Number 87, another series of films that, that has done wonders for the film landscape of the world. This is a 2007 film directed by, you guessed it, Michael Bay. And that movie is Transformers. Transformers, the most popular film from director Michael Bay, I would argue. Uh, and, you know, the best film in the Transformers series because it was the first one, and so... Each subsequent film has kind of built on the shit pile of its predecessors. You know, uh, Transformers stars Shia LaBeouf, Josh Duhamel, Megan Fox, Rachel Taylor, Tyrese Gibson, John Voight, John Turturro, Anthony Anderson, Peter Cullen, Hugo Weaving, Kevin Dunn, Julie White, Amari Nalasco, Bernie Mac, uh, among others. Some of those are voice roles for the Transformers and the Decepticons. Uh, this is the movie that introduced us, I think, I think introduced us to Megan Fox, I want to say, who was kind of the female idol of every teenage boy for a couple of years, I, I'm guessing. Uh, she's since left, the, she left the series and is now, I guess, she's made some movies. I, I know her most frequent work is is New Girl as a character on New Girl, which I, I kind of like. I think she's fine. You know, she's not going to be winning any Oscars ever, but she's better than the Transformers movies made her out to be. More than just tits and ass, I guess. But Michael Bay, man, he is just terrible. He's just terrible. And I I don't know why these movies keep making so much money. You know, I'm I'm almost positive that there's going to be more Transformer movies on this list. And that's incredibly depressing. You know, I get the first one, and maybe even the second one. But the third and fourth movies, why are they making hundreds of millions of dollars ever, anywhere? You can't f see the action. It's incredibly confusing. It's just metal that's not actually there bashing into itself. It's very racist. It has all the hallmarks of every bad thing Michael Bay does in his movies. It has bad acting from good actors. Uh, I just I just don't get it. And, and no one can explain it. No one can. You know, there are far better popcorn movies to go see. There are far better movies 
uh, that that do everything Transformer does better and with better quality, with better performances, with better writing, with better action, with better direction, with better music. Uh, why why would why do we stoop so low to f- continue to fund Michael Bay's projects? It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't it's ridiculous. Uh so Transformers, I gave a 53. Uh Again, like most of my complaints that I'm going through are, are more about the series as a whole. Again, this first film was new and it wasn't burdened by the past films that came before it. It was really, the, it's the first live action Transformers movie. It did have a good cast if their performances weren't great. And. You know, it it opened up a world. It wasn't as overproduced as it became, as the series became. It, you know, it has all these problems, but they're far more mitigated and insignificant in this movie as opposed to Dark of the Moon or I don't know whatever the fuck the rest of their subtitles are. So it's okay. I I don't know. I I, I wouldn't ever watch it again. It's, it's okay. Transformers. Number 86. Uh, and here we go. The second Twilight movie. This is the film Twilight film from 2009, directed by Chris Weitz. Uh, Chris Weitz is also the director of The Golden Compass, American Pie, and About a Boy. And all of those movies are better than New Moon, the second film in the Twilight saga. Uh, and in my opinion, the worst film in the Twilight Saga. This is uh, starring, again, Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, Taylor Lautner, Billy Burke, Ashley Green, Peter Facinelli, Elizabeth Reeser, Kellen Lutz, uh, Anna Kendrick, Graham Greene, Michael Sheen, Jamie Campbell Bower, Dakota Fanning, among others. It's this is the worst one. I it took me four tries to get through this movie in its entirety. I would get to like the scene at the movie theater where Jacob is like a dick bag, and I I just couldn't keep going. It's just so boring, so dull, and it doesn't make any sense. I just I just I hate it. I hate it so much. It's so bad. Uh, New Moon. I gave New Moon a 19, uh, which is the lowest rating for a Twilight film. And it, I don't even know if it, I, I bet it would get an even lower rating if I ever rewatched it, which I have no intention of doing. Uh, you know, I'll echo basically everything I said about the first, uh, about Eclipse, except more, because... Taylor Lautner is an incredibly huge role in this movie. And, you know, he was a significant role in, in Eclipse, but he is far, a far bigger presence in New Moon to its detriment, to its incredibly great detriment. Uh, you know, like, the only improvements between this film and the original Twilight are, you know, it kind of looks better, and it's not as... 
it's more stylized somehow and the first film is very stylized but uh, chris white's manages to do more with new moon it's just a shame that he had to introduce the worst one of the worst actors ever taylor lautner who is currently ranked 3507th on my uh, actors page out of 3541 so there's only 34 people below him uh, he has a score of 14.11 and he's this, he's been in nine films so three four five of them are twilight movies one of them is valentine's day chewer by the dozen two grown-ups two and the ridiculous six not really the kind of prestige work that anyone wants to associate themselves with and unfortunately he's probably made a bundle of money over this stuff uh yeah new moon again don't don't watch it number 85 <laughs> let's let's talk about a movie that's good <laughs> finally after a period of not this is a 2014 film directed by matt reeves matt reeves directed cloverfield the american remake let me in and uh he is slated to be directing the batman uh, starring Ben Affleck, Joe Mangani Manganiello, J.K. Simmons, and Jeremy Irons. And uh, he's got a film coming out this year, which is a sequel to the movie I'm about to talk about, and that is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So this is the sequel to Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, directed by Rupert Wyatt in 2011. And in my opinion, it is it exceeds it, the original in almost every way. James Franco's gone. Andy Serkis has more to do. We have fledgling Andy Serkis in Toby Kebbell. Jason Clark is a great actor. Gary Oldman is great. Kerry Russell and Judy Greer are great. Uh, I, I had small issues with Cody Smith-McPhee, but, you know, very trivial, and, and that's fine. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is incredible. You know, these the, the the resurrected Planet of the Apes films are blockbusters that I am over the moon about. I, I've seen the trailer for War of the Planet of the Apes. I'm endlessly excited. I will watch any movie with Andy Serkis mocapping. And the, this is kind of, this is the pinnacle. I, I watched on the Planet of the Apes. I would have 100% put Andy Serkis on my best actor ballot for this year. I thought he was incredible. I thought he doesn't I think Caesar is an incredible character despite being a monkey and an ape, I guess, technically. Uh and like I just I I find it so incredibly stunning. I've only recently watched the original Planet of the Apes movies and I think the first one is also great, but I think I think Dawn is better. Uh, I think it's just, it's so good, man. So I, I saw this in the theater and the first time we went to see, I went to see it with a friend and about two minutes into the movie, there's, they're in the opening scene takes place in the forest where all the apes live. And all of a sudden the audio cuts out and 
it was tough to tell if that was intentional or not because ever, all the apes are like signing to each other and like not speaking English. So there's subtitles for it. So it's not like we couldn't follow the film. And then human characters enter the film and they were talking, but you couldn't hear them. So we ended up uh, leaving. But then turns out we're standing outside of the theater because everyone's being evacuated because something's on fire or some of, one of the fire alarms is going off. And fire trucks arrive and uh, everything's, everything goes to hell. And so what, ha- and what ended up happening was if you, you could hand in your ticket stub and they would give you, they would reimburse you for the movie you were seeing and then give you a free movie pass to a movie of your choosing. So all in all, it wasn't too bad. You know, it's not like we were halfway through the movie or anything, but just, just a small anecdote, small anecdote. We did end up going back to, actually, I don't know if I even saw it, ended up seeing it in the theater after that, I don't think. Uh, yeah. But Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I gave it a 90 on the dot, which puts it at number 17 overall for the year of 2014 for me. And I'm incredibly excited for war. I, <laughs> for war. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I think that they're really good. I think the effects are cr- great. And up, up until now, on the first two films, I think the writing has been very stellar and very much, you know, it's more than just a, an action blockbuster, you know. with the, It's not as intellectual, necessarily, as the original Planet of the Apes movies because they couldn't really do the, the spectacle that these are able to do. But it is far more intellectual than something like a Jurassic World is. And that's all too rare in this day and age for blockbusters, unfortunately. Number 84. We return again to the Twilight series. (laughs) Sorry, guys. This is a bad sequence of films. This is the 2011 film directed by Bill Condon, who just directed Beauty and the Beast. Uh, The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 1. Yeah. So, the beginning of... Well, the tagline is, Forever is just the beginning. The newfound married bliss of Bella Swan and vampire Edward Cullen is cut short when a series of betrayals and misfortunes threatens to destroy their world. Bella soon discovers she is pregnant, and during a nearly fatal childbirth, Edward finally fulfills her wish to become immortal. But the arrival of their remarkable daughter, Renesme, sets in motion a perilous chain of events that pits the Cullens and their allies against the Volturi, the fearsome council of vampire leaders, setting the stage for an all-out battle. So, one... Breaking Dawn should not have been broken up into two movies. Two, I feel so bad for Michael Sheen. Uh, I don't know if he needed the money, but like, it sucks that he has to be in these movies. He's he's so much better than these movies, but uh, many of the people in them are. So I guess it's not really his fault. Uh, 
yeah, so Bella's pregnant in this movie, and she and Edward are married. Uh, and then, like, I'm not sure if it's in this movie or in part two, but Jacob, like, bonds himself to Bella's daughter, which is, like, the scariest, weirdest fucking thing ever. And, uh, you know, I it's better than New Moon, for sure. You know, I, I don't think, I'm not going to, like, argue that. And I say, I think it's better than the original Twilight as well. Uh, I gave Breaking Dawn. Part one, I gave a 36. Uh, so, not awful. Bad, but not awful. And far less boring. You know, it comes in under two hours, thankfully. And it should, because it's half a book. It stars the normal cast. And Bill Condon is probably the best director attached to these Twilight movies. For for good reason. Uh, he He's just able to do a lot more with the writing and, and the and the script. He uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't he wasn't part, he doesn't get a writing credit on this movie, but his direction helps this movie Treadwater, whereas Chris White's couldn't do that with New Moon at all. And Condon correctly sort of pushes uh, uh, Taylor Lautner aside and does not let him have as much screen time as he had in New Moon or Eclipse. And and by this point, it's like, I don't know why it's like Team Jacob, Team Edward. I... I the only movie where that's really a question is New Moon. And then by Eclipse, it's like clear she's going to pick Edward. So I'm not really sure why that became such a huge deal. But it did, and that's fine. Um, I don't know, man. I'm Breaking Dawn Part 1. Breaking Dawn Part 1. 83. Uh, a, a much, much better uh, cinematic universe than Twilight is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And here we have, I believe, the second... Yes, the second Marvel Cinematic Universe film on the list so far. The first was Doctor Strange. This is the 2014 film directed by Joe and Anthony Russo. That is Captain America The Winter Soldier. Uh, the Winter Soldier stars Chris Evans, Samuel L. Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, Robert Redford, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Kobe Smulders, Frank Grillo, Emily Van Camp, Haley Atwell, Toby Jones, Stan Lee, among others. Uh, Gary Shanley. Don't, don't leave Gary Shanley out. He's in there. And so Captain America the Winter Soldier, sequel to the Captain America er, sequel to Captain America the First Avenger, taking place in the events after the Avengers, this movie basically follows Captain America as he realizes that his good old friend Bucky Barnes is still alive and has been swayed by Hydra to do to become an assassin. And all of a sudden, Hydra is in is has taken over Shield, which 
ultimately ends up with huge ramifications for the entire MCU. Uh, along with Scarlett Johansson, who joins him as Black Widow, and Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, Captain America takes the fight to Hydra and beats some people up. And there's some like spy espionage too. And it's really good. It's a great movie. One of the best of the MCU, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of people would say the best. Well, maybe not a lot, but a good number of people I've heard call it the best. Uh, it is the best Captain America film, in my opinion. And the second best MCU film. The only film I put higher is Iron Man. The original Iron Man. This... Uh... This is, I think, the most impactful film that we've had for the MCU. I think it has done more to shape the Marvel Cinematic Universe than the Avengers, than Age of Ultron, than any of the Thor movies, than any of the Iron Man movies, than Guardians, than Doctor Strange, than Ant-Man, even more than Civil War. The Winter Soldier had has the most ramifications, the largest butterfly effect on the rest of these movies. It destroys S.H.I.E.L.D. And and even the TV shows, it completely overhauled the show when it came out, when it was still airing its first season, I believe. Yeah, it was halfway through its first season when this happened. And, like, it just crushed. Uh, it, it, it completely altered the landscape. And... Not that every MCU film has to do this. They don't. They really don't. But films like... But, you know, we didn't go in... I I don't know about most people, but I didn't necessarily go into The Winter Soldier expecting this huge cataclysmic event. Whereas I went into Civil War expecting a huge cataclysmic event, and I did not get one. I saw heroes fighting each other with, like, kid gloves on. And now they're still friends, and nothing's changed. Winter Soldier did far better of a job. It completely destroyed S.H.I.E.L.D. as it was created and as it was represented in the previous movies. It significantly dealt with the fallout of the Avengers. It had an incredibly emotional journey for Steve Rogers to take in the face of Bucky Barnes returning. It had incredible action. It, you know, Captain America is a superhero, but he's not Thor. He's not Iron Man. He's not, like, effectively all-powerful. And so you're never in a position in the Captain America movies where you think, oh, well, there's no way he would, you know, he would have to really try against these guys, you know. He's just a, like, beefed-up guy. He's, like, twice as strong three times as strong as the strongest person and he's fast and he's got a good mind for tactics and and infiltration and he he's just he's just like an above average captain america guy and that's that's enough you know not that iron man doesn't you know have his own com- complexities but the the fact that you know, of all the characters in the MCU, Captain America is the least interesting on paper. 
But what Steve Rogers does and what the Rousseau brothers do with this movie is they take the character from the first Avenger and they mold him in a completely new and authentic and contemporary way you know he he was frozen in ice for like 70 years he wakes up for the just in time to fight off aliens from invading the world and now all of a sudden the system that he has put his trust in that helped him save the world not too long ago is completely completely corrupt from the top down and this is a movie that i think if this movie had missed its mark at all, for it, you know, it would have completely damaged the brand of these movies because this is such a pivotal film in the series. This is the most pivotal film in the series, and there's no, there's no going back. Uh, you know, we we might have Shield again in this TV show, and. S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't really in Doctor Strange. Uh, and S.H.I.E.L.D.'s... I, I can't remember if... I don't think... Was S.H.I.E.L.D. in Civil War? Whatever, what's his name? Uh, uh, no, it's like a... The U.N. The U.N. It wasn't really S.H.I.E.L.D. in Civil War either. So, you can rebuild S.H.I.E.L.D. as they're doing in the TV show. But... It's not going to be the same. It has the lingering effect of the events that took place in this movie constantly hanging over it. The impact of Hydra on all of these characters is completely damaging and heartbreaking and devastating for everybody. Uh, you know, it this event in and of itself has completely shaken Captain America's trust in agencies and government as you see in this in civil war and should have been a far more pressing thing issue but captain america the winter soldier uh, i gave it um, an 87 so that's the second highest mcu film 87 i think it's great and i've seen it twice now i saw it er, er, opening in theaters and then i watched rewatched it again in preparation for civil war and i'm just as blown away as i was i, I was just I, I thought it was great i thought it was great it's great Whew. number 82 let's move away from series of films this is the first film on the list uh, on this segment of the list that is a standalone movie this is a 2013 film that a lot of people thought was going to win best picture it is directed by alfonso alfonso cuaron who also directed children of men harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban Itu mama tambien and some others that are less known but this is probably his best known film and that is gravity Starring Sandra Bullock, George Clooney, and the voice of Ed Harris. This is a cinematic experience. It is a technical masterpiece. And an incredibly good movie. It is a great movie. That is, for the most part, 
a Sandra Bullock vehicle with some with some frequent some some a presence from George Clooney and the voice of Ed Harris. That's pretty much it. The opening long take in and of itself is magnificent and incredible to just witness when you realize halfway through that you haven't seen the camera cut away. It was it it was just watching it in IMAX was just something greater far greater than it, I, I don't even know how to explain it I, I I've only seen this film in IMAX I only I've only seen it once uh, and you know I don't think I think that if I ever watch it again and I'm not watching an IMAX it's only going to taint the experience that I had seeing it for the first time and while I was always team 12 years a slave during this that year's Oscar season I I can't deny that Gravity is a great film and you know minute minute problems here and there with the plot toward the end are fine but there's there's so many uh, special effects and visual effects and things in this movie that I've never seen. I'd never seen before. I, I haven't seen since. Quaron does something magnificent, and you know he, you know Emmanuel Lubezki is just a the in my with my gr- very limited knowledge of cinematographers and cinematography I think Emmanuel Lubezki is the I'm probably saying that wrong I think he's the best cinematographer that I have am on, that I'm aware that I've seen I guess I would say uh, in case yeah so I gave gravity I gave gravity an 83 so that doesn't seem as high as the praise I'm giving it and the biggest reason for that is because I think the plot, particularly in the second half, is very paint-by-numbers. And I think the writing is not as... It does not at all match the level of technical effects that are going on in this movie. But, I, I you know, if it was just based on technical effects, it gets like a 99, at least. Maybe. I don't know. I I don't rate things like that, so I can't. I can't say for sure. It gets a very, very high rating on its technical effects. And it gets a very, very good rating on its on the rest of it, but not great. And so it kind of drags it down in that sense. You know, it's a short movie. It's only like an hour and a half long, which is perfect. And I wish more filmmakers were aware that movies don't have to be two, two and a half hours long. If you're, the story you're telling doesn't need it, it shouldn't have it. And this film just completely discards all of the waste that I think a lot of filmmakers would have added to this movie. And Coron is able to say, no, look, I know what this story is. There's a woman. She is completely lost in space. And that's it. Like, this is just a story of her figuring out a way to survive. And 
if she can't, she can't. If she can, she can. But we're not going to throw in scenes that don't need to be there. This is a tight film. And for, for Sandra Bullock's character, Dr. Ryan Stone... Everything is paramount. Everything is a critical of critical importance, and that's how the movie should be. And that's how most to all movies should be. If if it's not serving a purpose in your movie, it doesn't need to be there. And Gravity is a great example of that on a fundamental level. Gravity 83. Number 81 is an animated film. Uh, this is a Pixar film from 2009, directed by Pete Docter, who also directed Monsters, Inc. and Inside Out. Uh, this is Up, starring the voice talents of Ed Asner, Christopher Plummer, and others, uh, including John Ratzenberger, f- frequent collaborator with with Pixar, and Up is a beautiful film, oh my god, I'm already getting choked up about it, the opening, like, time sequence is breathtakingly beautiful, it might not be opening, it might be a flashback, I don't remember, uh, what, to either case, the, 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 the montage of Carl Fredrickson's life uh, married to ooh, shit. Ellie is one of the most gut-wrenching sequences in film. And, and man, that as a short film is probably perfect in and of itself. And the rest of the film in Up is touching hilarious, poignant, and mesmerizing. You know, it's Pixar, the animation was top-notch, the voice acting was of very high quality, Doug is a fucking brilliant character, uh, as is, oh, what's the name of it? Trying to find it here. I don't know. The bird. I like the bird. The bird was fun too. The pack of dogs, Alpha Beta Gamma, are crazy. The one helium dog. It's just so cool. And like the house with the balloons. Like it's just. This is just pure cinematic joy. You know, that's what Pixar does. And then it's also pure cinematic devastation, which is also what Pixar does. Uh, So up, if I can find it here really quickly taking a second up up is the 12th highest rated film of mine from 2009 i've seen it 3 times you know i showed it to my grandparents uh and I gave it a 92. So this is the highest rated film in this sequence of films so far. Uh, you know, my synopsis is an old man seeks to fulfill his late wife's dream. And I think that that's about as, as 
uh, tightly as you can explain this plot. He travels to this foreign place, and then shit gets real with Christopher Plummer's character. I do feel like... So the reason that, you know, like I said, I think that that opening sequence between Carl and Ellie is perfect. But the plot after that, so is just a great and like how how bad is that like just great is an insult to a lot of pixar films and they average to be like a low 90s rating but it's still just it's so good it's so good you know i definitely cried i think every time i watched it and You know, Pixar, for the most part, they've definitely had their their misses and they've taken their bad beats. But the best of Pixar is the best of everything, I think. You know, when you're looking at films like Toy Story and Inside Out and Up and WALL-E and, you know, you, you've, you, you've got the, you know, The Incredibles and Finding Nemo. These are not just animated kids' films. Pixar, com- for the most part, I think I think a lot of the credit goes to Pixar for completely changing the landscape of animated films. And not just by computer animation, uh, but by mature stories that kids can still connect to, that adults can connect to, and that resonate far beyond the hour and a half, hour and twenty hour and 40 hour and 50 minute runtime that they exist in and you know up is a great example of this you know up is about reclaiming your dreams it's about you know so what if you're 78 years old if you're retired if you're completely resigned to you know spending the rest of your life begrudgingly holding on to the house you live in while skyscrapers are put up around you Fucking attach a hundred thousand balloons in, to your chimney and fly away. If 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 you have the urge to do it, you can do it. You can if you just feel like it's something you need to do, then you should not let anything get in your way and or stop you. Because if you do that, you're you're letting life pass you by, in a sense. You're you're feeling you know you're, you're losing part of your own self-identity by just just giving in to the demands of the world you know listen listen to your heart and follow your dreams you know like that is up you know carl for to you know as as great as carl is you know he is a curmudgeon. He wanted nothing to do with uh, Russell or Doug or the bird or any of that. He was depressed. He had resigned himself to a lifetime of depression after Ellie died. And I get that. It's a terrible, terrible tragedy. And it happened to Ellie far too young. And that's the kind of shit that Pixar does and they get away with it because it's so tasteful and beautiful to watch unfold and so 
some 40, 30 years later, as you know, he's Carl's basically at this point living just to defy expectations of him, just to say, yeah, I can do this stuff if I want to. You don't, you don't get to tell me I have to leave my house. You don't get to tell me, et cetera, et cetera. And this little kid, this Russell, just appears on his doorstep, and he's an infectious kid. He gets attached to Carl for some reason. And, you know, through the childlike wonder in Carl's eyes, or in Russell, and, you know, through Carl's, like, sort of realization, like, you know what, I, I've, I need to reconnect with Ellie. And the best way to do that is to fulfill her dream. It's, it's a beautiful film. It's a truly, truly beautiful film that speaks on, on so many levels and is a great example of why Pixar is just one of the best studios around. Uh, yeah, so that's up. That's number 81. And uh, I'm going to cut it, cut it off there. You know, that's the next 10 films on the Box Office Mojo all-time worldwide gross of films. We talked, we went through four Twilight movies in this sequence. And uh, I'm looking ahead at the next 10 films. There's a little bit more variety, thankfully. So we'll get to kind of stretch our wings a little more than and so thank you for listening if you have any comments or questions or concerns or answers or critiques you can send those to circleoffilm at gmail.com uh, you can check out anything on the website circleoffilm.com such as the circle of film awards updated every time I see a new movie from 2017 and as well as the scavenger hunt superlatives and the information on those. You can see samples from my spreadsheet if you'd like to see that and find more information out about me. The April scavenger hunt task list was recently uh, posted on Letterboxd if you are interested in participating. I have already posted my list on Letterboxd if you want to look at it now. The episode... The preview episode for that will not be released until April 1st, uh, so keep an eye out for that, as well as the March uh, review episode for The Scavenger Hunt, which will be released on March 31st. Uh, thank you for listening once again, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same tonight. I know she'll never leave me. Even as she fell